Hey guys, and welcome to the new episode of Automated Seller Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, David Miller. Uh, we actually met with David on uh, one of the conferences in Lithuania. David was a speaker there, um, and David is a very interesting person. It's actually the first time I'm bringing someone like this uh, on a podcast. David, you're the, um, a, a lawyer for Amazon sellers, and you're running your own law firm. Could you actually um, tell us a little bit about this? Like, what's your background? How did you come actually and found this niche? Because just before I let you speak, this is very interesting because uh, we are running a software agency. At some point, we also had to specialize in something and we picked also this um, industry, right? So we are running and building, uh, we are running this company and building the software for Amazon sellers. And it seems like you are doing something like this for Amazon sellers. I know that especially if you are a lawyer, there's a lot of industries that you can actually pick and specialize. So yeah, David. Yes. So first off, thank you, Jacob, for having me. Um, nice to see you again. So a little bit about me. So I'm, I'm an attorney. Uh, so I went to law school, graduated from law school. And I have a law degree. And in, you know, to get started with this specific niche, I actually was working for an intellectual property law firm fresh out of law school. And Amazon was already booming, but it was really, really picking up speed. And we were getting a lot of calls about Amazon related issues, right? So at that time, there were not there was there was not a lot of information out there. So we really I really just learned it on my own by doing it. So seeing some of this some of these suspension issues that came up, I already had a bit of an intellectual property background, so that helped. But the Amazon game has changed year to year, so there were always there were you know some classic issues that would continuously come up. Um, and in those times, a lot of those issues were, were way more simple, I would say. The level of complexity was not what it is today. Um, and I found that there's a lot more information out there. So a lot of sellers can maybe resolve more of it on their own. Um, so we'll get calls for oftentimes more difficult type of cases. But that's really how it started. It was, you know, the very early stages of, I'd say the third party seller industry. And we kind of just, like I said, hit the ground running. Uh, the phone started ringing and I just really learned by doing and it really, it expanded from there. And a few years ago, I decided to open up my law, my own law office, which specializes in helping Amazon sellers. So in suspension issues, whether it's an account suspension or an ASIN or listing suspension, an intellectual property issue. So sometimes that includes a seller receiving an IP complaint. We'll help them resolve it, reach out to the other lawyers. And we also help enforce brands, right? So awesome. brands have all sorts of infringers and hijackers that pop up on the Amazon and other platforms also. We, we do help sellers that sell on eBay, on Etsy, on Walmart, um, but of course Amazon is the biggest in the space. And lastly, we also help with a wide range of business law issues, whether it's drafting a contract or negotiating a contract. We've even helped sellers exit. So sellers sell their entire businesses on Amazon and they want a lawyer that's familiar with Amazon to do so. so that that's basically how I got started and a little bit about my background. Awesome. That's, that, that's really great. So actually, yeah, you're, you're actually um, one of those guys that 
we are very similar. Like I, I assume you were not really selling on Amazon. You kind of learn it in a hard way without really selling, but just analyzing um, all of, and going through all of the cases of the sellers, right? Correct. And uh, that's that's a tough one, uh, especially also for us when we build a seller. Uh, sorry, when we build a software, um, we always really need to understand um, all of the logic from from the seller, all of the business processes, everything from there. And it, it, it sometimes it's very hard. And I can assume that, uh, especially in the Amazon ecosystem, which is very different from typical e-commerce, it, it's very different from running your own store, like e-commerce store. So you had to really learn it in, in a hard way. But then in the end, uh, of course, uh, when when an Amazon seller has some issue, legal issue, then you're the right right fit for, for that. So let's talk about the actual reasons, um, like the common reasons why Amazon um, sellers got suspensions, like especially their accounts. I think this is one of the most uh, popular cases, but I'll let you speak. So... If you could tell, like, what's usually like involved in getting um, their accounts uh, reinstated? Yeah. So common reasons why sellers get suspended. I mean, there there are tons of different issues, um, and depending on the time, sometimes even time of year, where we'll see certain spurts of certain types of Amazon suspensions that are essentially hot topics, right? So Amazon is flagging certain uh, certain sellers for. So I would say. Generally speaking, lately, common reasons would include drop shipping, right? Lots of sellers get flagged for drop, for drop shipping. Sometimes they're just not really informed, I would say, more than anything else. Sometimes they know they're not doing the right thing, but there's a lot of benefits to drop shipping. But one of the negatives, especially on Amazon, but is a high risk of suspension. I think that's more well known now than it's ever been. Exactly. Is, do, do you think it's actually a more common topic right now than in the past? Because also just by following the trends, I feel like dropshipping was really popular a few years back. And now it's all about building your own brand uh, on Amazon and not really selling like thousands of different uh, listings. Right. Absolutely. So I would say about four to five years ago, I started to see a slow switch, right? So I'd say a little bit before that, most sellers on Amazon, I don't have any statistics to back this up. This is just completely my experience. Most of the calls that I would get were third-party resellers, right? So someone is going into a store, buying something online, a well-known brand, reselling it for profit. That was the main business model. And there were still drop shippers, but that's essentially they're doing the same thing, right? Buying and reselling for a profit. Forget where it's being shipped from. Nowadays, and in the last three, four years or so, private labels are most of the calls that I get. Most, most of the sellers, a high majority of them are private label sellers. But I would also say that a lot of the calls that I get that are suspension related, at least within the last year or so, are drop shipping related. So in general, it's been moving in that direction, I think, for a while. There's still drop shippers that exist. And I think a, a big reason why is there's a lot out there about it, right? So there's a lot of solicitation. There's, I, I've seen, I've even seen individuals reach out to me on LinkedIn, not realizing I'm an attorney, that I'm not, you know, I'm not a seller, never been a seller. Uh, they'll say, oh, are you interested in drop shipping? Many, many times. So I, if it's, you know, I shoot a lot of content about Amazon related issues and they're probably not really reading or watching it. So I have to assume I'm not the only one that gets these messages. Um, 
But yes, overall, I would say it's way more private label oriented these days because it's more sustainable. But there are still high risk business models out there like like drop shipping. Uh, In addition, I would say other common reasons for suspensions, you know, there's always the classic inauthentic related issues where sellers get accused of selling inauthentic goods or expired goods. Um, and of so course- basically, uh, Amazon has like full rights to actually suspend those items and you cannot really defend them, right? I mean, it, 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 it's actual day problem that they did that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, dep- it depends what it is, right? So if, if it's dropshipping related, you have to show that you didn't violate the policy. If it's an authenticity issue, Amazon's going to want to see invoices. So if you don't have any invoices to show or if you have, let's say, a supplier that doesn't have any online presence that Amazon can't verify, it's going to be real, real tough for you to get back on Amazon. Yeah. So, so what would you say are actually um, like if you're on the Amazon seller, right? Like, what's the best thing to to prevent yourself from actually suspending your account by Amazon? So that's that's probably one of the most common questions I get, and I spoke about this uh, at Sellerfest. It's it's hard to explain because there are so many different things that can go wrong, right? So I'm going to speak generally on this. And the number one thing is really knowledge is power, right? So I just find that a lot of sellers don't know, or at least in the early stages, they're a bit naive that Amazon maybe won't catch them with certain things. So they try and cut corners, you know, they try and find loopholes. You really have to know Amazon policy before you start really selling. And, you know, as you grow, you will run into, you know, there will be bumps in the road and you'll you'll learn also by doing. I, I do think that is a big part of it. But I think, number one, not being naive um, and really, you know, searching through and researching policies and, and calling experts if you're not sure on specific things. Some, some, of these com- some of these issues are complicated. I've even, I've had sellers that, call Amazon and even Amazon says to them, I don't know, because if you're dealing with, let's say a restricted product issue, it's pretty complicated depending on the type of product and Amazon. Sometimes if you're dealing with a certain employee, they might not have, you know, they might not be well-versed in this or if it's a patent issue, these are high level, high level issues, pretty complex. So a low level employee at at Amazon is probably not going to know. So again, generally speaking, really having, I think, a plan and researching to make sure that you have at least some idea behind, you know, what common issues do Amazon sellers in this particular space? What do they run into? You know, looking at these things for people who have more experience. And again, there's so much information out there. I have a YouTube channel where I talk about this stuff every day, common issues I see, suspensions, those are things that I would just utilize if I'm looking to get started selling on Amazon, or even if I'm somewhere in the middle of my journey, it's just something I don't think it ever hurt. Definitely. I think it's always worth learning and updating yourself, uh, especially when, when you are selling on Amazon. I mean, also I think Amazon is constantly changing, so they definitely change their policy and you just need to keep being updated on this. Um, David, now I would love to talk a little bit about the IP, so the intellectual property, um, the in, infringe, ah, it's a hard word, infringement. I know that th- this is like very common issue on Amazon. So how do you approach defending clients um, who, who've been accused on this? Sure. So this, this typically starts with a seller receives a notification 
notifying them that they inf- that someone filed an intellectual property complaint against them, right? So it's either trademark, copyright, patent, or counterfeit. I'm going to start with the last one first, right? So counterfeit. This is the easiest one to review because you're looking for, okay, is the product counterfeit or is it not? Now, if the seller has an invoice to show it's not counterfeit, it's a very easy case to defend. Why? Because someone filed a counterfeit claim, the products aren't counterfeit, and you have your own legal argument as far as why if someone wrongfully filed a counterfeit complaint against you. Now, the other forms of IP are, are a bit more complicated. There's, you know, there's rules, there's exceptions to the rules. Um, but how we go about resolving them is we draft a legal letter that responds to the complaint, right? So the Amazon notice will always have, or almost always, I should say, have an email address and usually a company name along with an IP registration number so we can review everything. We contact the party, that email address that's on the notice and put forth our legal argument as to why we don't believe they're infringing. Now, let's say if they're not infringing, most of the time, the other side is going to work with us, especially when they see, you know, a, a letter drafted by an attorney on a legal letterhead. They'll take us more seriously, typically, than if a seller just writes that, you know, writes an email, let's say, cursing at them or being rude, for example. Yeah. If you are infringing, it's a, it's a little bit different because now, we're, you know, you're not necessarily in a power position. So then we have to try and negotiate and see if maybe their other side is willing to enter into some sort of agreement. Maybe it's a sell-through agreement where they give you the opportunity to sell. Um, they might even want a royalty, so a percentage of the sales, uh, maybe even a buyback where they will buy back your product. So it can fit into many different boxes. So I always, this is another question I, I commonly get, and there's different boxes for what we do. But in general, we contact them, we provide our, our argument, we see how they respond, and we take it from there. Awesome. Could you actually give us also um, like a fully ca- full case study on, on that, like where you, it can be IP infringement or the account suspension. I just want to see like the whole case study from basically Amazon seller who reached out to you where you actually help him and, and successfully um, defeated him in, the, in that case. Yeah, sure. So... Let's think here. Okay, so I'm gonna go with the suspension issue just because I think it's a great story. Um, so it's not it's not a boring one. We had a case a few years back. It was a seller that was suspended, and they contacted us and they realized that there was also money. They had about sixty about sixty thousand dollars U.S. Um, that was no longer in their account. So account suspension, about sixty thousand dollars that they were due, that was never paid. But not only was it just sitting, because sometimes the money was just sitting in the account because of a suspension. In this case, it wasn't even there. So the account was showing zeros. Turned out that they were on the receiving end of a scammer that logged into their account, okay? So basically they replied to what they thought was an email coming from Amazon. And I've spoken about Mm -hmm. this on my YouTube channel, but um, I just think it's horrible, but it's also um, something oh, yeah. that's important for sellers to look out for. Um, we know, I noticed that once once they sent over the notice, I noticed it wasn't, it, it's, and some of these scammers are getting a lot better at what 
what some of these notices look like. And sometimes it really does look like it's coming from Amazon. So in this case, it wasn't coming from Amazon. They showed some so, sort of- Like the actual email with the account suspension, you mean? That was from the scammer. Correct. So it turned out that they sent out a, a notice and I, and I believe that this, this seller actually did have account issues. So they thought they were responding to Amazon. And in this case, the scammer sent a link asking for username and password. So what ended up, what ended up happening was when they entered in their username and password, now the scammers had it, they logged in, changed the banking information on the account so that the money was what the next payment wired to the scammers. Absolute nightmare of a situation. So we had to submit a plan of action to Amazon and then what we, and, uh, in order to get the account reinstated, which we were happy to do. And in addition to that, we actually contacted Amazon's outside counsel. So they're, they're, uh, they're attorneys that are not internal Amazon attorneys, a law firm that, that represents Amazon, informing them that scammers hack the account, essentially, whatever you want to call it, and that they weren't paid. It was sent to the wrong account, showed them the right information. And we were happy, happy to, uh, to be successful. The, the seller got their, you know, the entire amount of money, the entire 60,000. Oh, they, they got it back, actually. They got the money back. I don't know if Amazon ever recouped. I, I think Amazon may have taken the loss. I'm not sure if Amazon ever recouped the 60,000 from the scammer. That's probably mm -hmm. a lot harder to do. But yeah. either way, uh, we we're happy to, uh, to get the funds back for the client. The client was thrilled. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I've watched so many of the Amazon scams. Not maybe not that complicated like this one. That was actually a smart one when you change the bank yep. account. Um, but there's so many Amazon scams overall. Uh, I think we are we we got so many of the emails, and they they really look serious. I mean, yep. it's it's crazy. Also, those email addresses they they are becoming more and more trustful. That sometimes you really need to double check uh, yep. and ask, hey, is it really actually Amazon? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine. But that's that's awesome uh, that actually it worked out in the end and and you managed to help the seller. So you, do you also work with? Now I think you you said that you are you work mostly with three PL sellers, right? Or you also work with the vendors? M mainly three PL, but we also do work with some vendors also. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Then let's jump to the next questions. Actually, for Amazon sellers, like. What are the common legal issues um, that Amazon sellers often overlook, but they should be more attended, uh, sorry, attentive to? Right. So for private labels, I would say not not uh, not doing a full review of first off of, of trademarking names. I've seen that become a problem, um, especially when the brand name is not very unique. Right. So sometimes I think it's. I think it's, it's somewhat unknown where sellers aren't sure like, okay, if someone hasn't registered this name, then it's fair game. And generally speaking, that's true, but that doesn't mean you might, you won't run into potential trouble down the road. So if you pick some sort of common name or something that's descriptive, for example, like if you're selling, let's say, let's say you're selling ice cream for, you know, for example, and you want to trademark the name cold and creamy right? That's a way someone may describe ice cream. So even if you're successful in getting a trademark registration for that, someone would have a strong defense if they were to describe ice cream in that manner. The main reason is because the U.S. government 
And this is a lot of uh, this is a lot of IP law offices are, you know, not, you know, intellectual property organizations around the world have similar laws to this is we don't want individuals or companies to really struggle to describe anything. You know, how would if I couldn't say, you know, that this this is a cup, for example, or the drink is hot and someone, oh, I have a registration for it. The drink is hot. It, it would just it would be a bit ridiculous at a certain point. So that's what, you know, that's what uh, the governments are trying to avoid. So that's just a, a classic example. Um, and in addition to that, I would also say common legal issues. There's always, you know, specific business type, uh, business law issues, I would say. Sometimes it's with suppliers or manufacturers. And with that, there's certain things you're not gonna be able to predict. Uh, I, I would say the most common thing that I see, you know, in order to avoid is just having some sort of vetting process with who you're working with. You know, some, sometimes there are services out there, and I, I've seen this recently with uh, a lot of people working with individuals off of Fiverr. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're causing like quite a few issues with uh, mainly for seller accounts, I would say, um, just because a lot of times the seller themselves is in the dark as far as exactly what's being done. And it's just something that I, I've seen. I'm not saying that there's not good ones out there. I'm sure there are. But what exactly are those uh, freelancers on Fiverr doing? Could you explain? Yeah, so all different types of things. I've seen them used as account reinstatement services. Lately, I've seen where Fiverr people were hired to remove hijackers. And then okay. the next thing you know, a few days or a week, or a week or so later, the account is suspended for purchasing fake orders from a competitor. Oh wow! Yeah, so th things like that, and the seller, you know, the seller may swear up and down that it wasn't them. They're pretty sure it has something to do with the Fiverr employee that they hired, but now they don't know. Now they're in a situation, and they have to go back to Amazon and tell them that. So things like that, it's uh, to me, it, it's another way of. I understand trying to keep costs down, but for something like that. I, I wouldn't even go down that road, especially if you don't know who you're hiring. I, if you don't have the funds to hire a professional, I would just do it myself. You know, mm -hmm. so seller, I would do it yourself before hiring someone who could cause significant issues. And again, now I'm not saying that some of them are not are not great. I'm sure a lot of them are. I've just seen it enough times at this point that I feel the need to bring it up. Got it. Got it. Uh, did you actually have some issues? Because this is something that just came to my mind. Uh, we we are kind of in a process right now of um, finding our, like building like a piece of hardware with a software and, and sell it. And and we know that uh, there's a lot of issues, especially when, when you got some items from China with uh, certificates, especially for the hardware part. Uh, did you actually have some case with this when uh, someone ordered items from China, they claim that they have proper certificates, but then in the end, they actually didn't. Yeah, that's, that's another one. There, there are so many out there. I mean, I just, I just <laughs> you, you know, just to bounce off of that, restricted products is related to that. So oftentimes that's another quote unquote legal or Amazon policy issue, if you want to call it that, where they'll use certain trigger words that Amazon, Amazon's algorithm will flag see this what, a lot what exactly like could you could you share some yeah so pesticides 
are a big one. So if you use words like antifungal or antimicrobial, Amazon wants some sort of backing to know that these claims are actually real, that you're not just making them up. And then we see lots of issues with medical devices, for example, mm -hmm. if it's not registered with the FDA, there's issues with that. So it all kind of leads back, I think, to the same overall point where it's like you have to know, knowing Amazon is one thing, knowing your specific industry within Amazon, so selling medical devices, you have to know these rules. Yes, you can always hire people, but it's hard to check over what others know if you don't really know it yourself. So I've learned this myself with, uh, with SEO, okay? I'm not an SEO person at all, right? I'm a lawyer, I didn't go to school for SEO, only really started learning about it a few years ago, and I've looked at hiring people myself for SEO, but I wanted to be informed with what they're doing, because how, how am I gonna check them if I don't really know what's going on? Just, you know, you can hand, you know, hand the ball off to somebody and just pray, but that's not how I conduct business. And I think most people would agree with that. Got it. Do you actually offer your services also outside of US or it's also like, it's not only specifically to you, um, to Amazon, but also to the US law or how does it work? Like yeah. who are your clients? So all over the world, we, we have clients in the US, uh, in all over Europe, Australia, Asia, Awesome. Yeah. As well, so it's 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 very global. Uh, so any sort of Amazon policy issues, suspensions, IP related issues can be a bit more complicated. But but we have clients all over the world. Great, that that's perfect. Could you also share how does like a typical collaboration with you work? If if some of the actually listeners is is interested and and need your help. Yeah. So my contact information. Contact information, but overall also like a process because, you know, there's a lot of people who probably are interested, but they are just, I don't know, maybe scared to 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 Got reach it. out to you. I mean, we have similar cases with a software project. Some people think that in order to, to build like a small automation, they need a huge budget. They need like huge, hard collaboration. They don't know if, if they have proper specification um, written down. And we just always say, hey, let's just jump to the discovery call. And I just wonder... How, right. What's the process to work with a company like yours? Yeah, so the process is, I and mean, we have various different ways that we can be communicated with. So we have just our basic email. You can go to our website. You can fill out a contact form. Um, we're also on, we're also all, all over social media. So we have YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Facebook, LinkedIn, where we can be. I'll make sure also to put them in the in description, David. So perfect, perfect. And we're, we're a boutique law firm. So we represent a lot of smaller sellers. It's all the way from small mom and shops, all the way to seven, eight, even nine figure businesses. So we are a wide range, but this firm was built off of representing small Amazon sellers because Amazon would essentially run over third-party sellers and they didn't really know what to do. So that's how we started. Um, of course, we have grown from there, but we still we still are a boutique firm. We represent still a majority of small sellers. Got it. Awesome, David. Thanks a lot for coming for the podcast. That was a very informative uh, session. Uh, again, I've never actually had anyone talking about those kind of things uh, on, on our channel here. So uh, thank you for that. And yeah, do you have anything to share with the audience? Um, no, I, nothing specific. I would just say 
just to wrap it up, um, you can contact me at david at damlawfirm.com. Consultations are free. If you have questions, don't feel like you're annoying me. I like to be annoyed. Um, <laughs> and just stay careful out there. Don't respond to emails if you're not sure they're actually coming from Amazon, please. And when in doubt, if you ever do have a suspension issue or an IP issue, there are tons of options out there. So don't panic. Take a second to review and it'll be just fine. Awesome. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.